Welcome to Coaching for Potential with Rory Rowland. Join national presenter and consultant Rory Rowland as he discusses another aspect of powerful coaching and how it transforms people to improve your organization. Rick Olson is one of the leading authorities on member service in the credit union world. And for the past 16 years, he has been the trainer for CUNA's world-class service leadership institute held at the luxurious Rich carlton he has worked with companies in all 50 states his clients include marriott Ritz carlton 3m ups target and many others rick's work specializes in creating dynamic work cultures that excel in teamwork sales and service his acclaimed management training program the coaching college gives managers the tools they need to fully develop the potential in each of their employees. Rick and his wife, Lori, live in Northwest Wisconsin. Today, Rick will share his insights on how to coach your folks using wisdom and intuition. Rick, it is great to have you on the program. Thank you, Rory. It is a uh, treat to be with you on this uh, podcast today. I have fabulous memories of times that you and I have been together over the years, and it's fun to uh, reconnect today on this podcast. Absolutely, my friend. And we're going to talk about kind of the, you know, wisdom and intuition, because when we were talking earlier, you just had a couple of just terrific stories. And I said, we've got to get those on the podcast. But I just wanted the first question is want to kind of back up just a second and, you know, kind of what's your philosophy of coaching? You know, why why are you gravitating towards it? Why do you do it? Well, I've spent uh, the last 28 years working with businesses across America. And it seems like no matter what uh, great sayings they put on the wall, what the vision statement looks like, what the mission looks like, it all comes down to do the managers know how to fully develop their people? At, unfortunately, a lot of managers at one time were outstanding employees. Somebody tapped them on the shoulder and said, we have a corner office for you. You are going to be a great manager or supervisor. And they got in there and soon discovered it takes an entirely different skill set. And so while they excelled as an employee, they didn't do so well as a manager. They soon discover it's an entirely different business. You're in the people building business now. And it's a different skill set. So that's the great need that I've seen in companies all across America. That's where I'm spending my energy, giving managers the tools that they need to fully develop their people. So here's just, just a little bit of Rickles and philosophy on it. First of all, every manager is in the people building business. The finest thing that they can do for their organization is reproduce themselves and their people. We hired them because they were great. Uh, and we hoped that they would be so influential that soon there would be many just like them in the department. So of all the things that a manager can do for their company, reproducing yourself, not cloning, but developing people fully is, is just the finest thing that a manager can do. You Go ahead. No, I agree completely. I think the manager has two jobs, get the task done and grow their people. And that's really what you're talking about, if I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly. Well, it is. And, and I'll tell you that the greatest challenge that I face, Rory, is managers who want to put their heads down and just be a working manager and figure if they work harder and smarter than everybody else, they'll set a blistering pace and people will see this is what it's like to do great work. But all it ends up doing is stressing them out. Their employees are underdeveloped. And so they've got to learn that handoff of, no, I'm in the business of developing people 
not just putting my head down and working. I agree completely. And I know you work with a lot of companies all over the country and coach their management team. Uh, but tell me about uh, if you ever worked with folks where their career's in jeopardy. Well, I have. And I, it's, uh, it's always interesting. I mean, you're sailing along. You got these people that are, that are applying the coaching methods and they're, they're, they're telling me awesome stuff about what's happening with their staff. Numbers are up, services up, everything is up. It's, it, it's really good. But every once in a while, uh, do run into people whose careers in jeopardy, and then it takes a whole different approach. I think that's where we uh, came up with our title today, Coaching with Wisdom and Intuition, because if a career is in jeopardy, that's not the time to go back to your file and get that checklist of the five questions you ask every week. Uh, <laughs> this calls right. for something extremely different. So I'll just, I'll just share two with you, I, uh, two stories. One, I'd worked with a hospital. And they had, they had 50 managers, and, and they were terrific. And I uh, spent considerable time there. And when I left, I really felt like I had reached 49 of the managers. Uh, there was one I knew I'd never really reached him. I liked him a lot. Uh, he was my kind of guy in so many ways. He was a sports guy. He had a, uh, he had a man cave that wouldn't quit. Everybody went to his place <laughs> to hang out for games. He was the kind of guy I liked to hang out with. But... I knew from the beginning my style was way too touchy-feely for him. He was, he was old school. It was kind of my way or the highway, and he was not flexible, and he was not about to start investing key time into his people and his leaders. So I left there, and a year later, that company had a crisis. Uh, things really went downhill in his department, and uh, his three top lieutenants went to leadership and said, either this guy leaves or we leave. But if he's staying, all three of us are turning in their resignation. So we talk about careers in crisis. We really have four careers in crisis here. We have the top guy who does not know how to invest in people and coach and develop them. And then we have the potential loss of three more top leaders who might walk out the door. So it was a crisis situation. The uh, company called me. I'd had a longstanding relationship with me, and they said, what should we do? And we did come up with a plan. It was quite drastic, and the plan was that we would suspend him for two weeks from work, uh, one week with pay, one week without pay. Uh, in that two weeks, he had two weeks to reinvent himself. They told me he was awesome for 15 years, but the last five years, he slid into a dark place. So uh, the, the message to this guy was you have two weeks, reinvent yourself, recapture the you that we knew for those first 15 years, come up with a good plan, and you're back on. If you don't, you'll be done with us. And they said, you have two options. You can call a career counselor or you can call a guy you already know, Rick Olson. And so he called me. I was in California speaking that day. I got a voicemail that night and he said, hi, Rick. I, uh, I really need your help. He said, I've become a person I never wanted to become. And the moment I heard those words, I knew we had a fabulous chance to reach him and to create a new healthy future. I called him right away and I said, hey, look, I am, uh, I'm gone for a couple of days. But the moment I get back, I want you to drive over to my, my area and we're going to have breakfast. We're going to have a long talk about this. And so I came back, he drove over, we had breakfast. And at breakfast that day, knowing he was a sports fan, and, and again, this is where intuition comes in. You, there's no script for this stuff. You're just kind of making this up on the fly, but 
But intuition is all about reading people and understanding people and knowing how he's wired. I, uh, I brought along a copy of Sports Illustrated. Just that week, they came out with the Michael Vick issue. Michael had made an awesome comeback after being in prison for dogfighting. And he had, he, had, he had rebuilt himself, and he came back, and he was now an MVP candidate in the NFL. So I, I threw that in front of him and said, I want you to read it, and then here's my challenge to you. I'm going to challenge you to be the Michael Vick of your organization. And that resonated with him, and then we started the coaching process. I and said, I wanna, and, and go ahead. I can jump in there. I love that moment right there. Um, I actually did a podcast here a while back called The Gift of Challenge. Yeah. And you really truly gave him, excuse me, <clears throat> pardon me. You truly gave him the gift of challenge right there. Is you, you, you weren't going to take the easy route. You're saying, hey, your career's in jeopardy. You're, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push you to a high level of performance here. And you're going to have to want to change. And I love that when I hear coaches give that gift of challenge. I use a phrase for it in my teachings. We just call it velvet steel. Mm. And that's, that's what the best coaches do. They're velvet steel. They're not all velvet because if they're all velvet, they're cream puffs and everybody runs over them. Uh, they're not all steel because if they're steel, they're abrasive and nobody can stand them. And the very best coaches that I see have really blended velvet and steel together. And so that moment uh, certainly called for some velvet. This guy's wounded. He's beat up. At the sure. same time, he needs some steel, and I like your word. He needed a good, stiff challenge. He's an athlete. He's a competitor. He understands athletic challenge, and so that resonated with him. Be the Michael Vick of your organization. So here's what happened next. Uh, we just started down the, uh, the path, and I view coaching as an unbroken conversation. That's the way I always like to see coaching. It's just an unbroken conversation. It starts today. You interview them uh, for the job and it never ends and it doesn't quit. Uh, it goes all the way through even to their exit interview. But to me, coaching is not checklist. It's an unbroken conversation. So I've had great conversations with them in the past. We picked it up. And my path that day was, Bob, talk to me about what happened. Talk to me about how you got here. You said you became a person you never wanted to become. What happened? And uh, I'm telling you, the fountain just opened up. Well, they built a brand new building. He was the guy who designed the brand new building. It was the crowning achievement of his entire career. And he, he loved that building. Uh, actually, he loved it more than the people. He kind of got out of whack, but love the building more than people. So anyway, if somebody would run into a wall, if somebody would damage something in the building, it was like a personal affront to him. And he esteemed the building so high that people aggravated him. And that's what was happening. He slid into that dark world of uh, misguided priorities. And so he did a great job of expressing this. This is how this happened. And so we talked a lot about that. I, I, I'm a huge fan of Stephen Covey. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. It's you ask questions, you understand, have them trace their past. How did they get here? And he did a great job. And then we began the journey of, Bob, how are we going to get back to the Bob that you used to be, that everybody loved, that people responded to? What does that path look like? And uh, that, that began a fantastic journey with Bob. I would say that lasted two to three months. 
Uh, we had more in-person meetings. We had uh, weekly, if not daily, uh, email messages back and forth. There were several calls. But uh, happy to report, he went back. He became the Bob everybody liked. And uh, I feel of all the things I've done out there to help companies, and we'd, we'd helped 49 of their managers previously, but it never reached this guy. But I felt like, you know what? We've reached this guy. And uh, that's incredibly gratifying. And I'm very proud of Bob. He did the heavy lifting. He reinvented himself and came back. And you know, when, when you told me this story the first time, and, I, and I've actually told it to a couple of people because I've loved it. And you know, I've, I just, this idea came to me and I said, to make a diamond, sometimes you need to apply pressure. Right. And as very leaders, and, and as leaders uh, you know, what, they, what their organization did is those three people that approached their senior management team and said, hey, we're gone or he's gone, but you know, we're not going to do this together. And the management said, is there a path where we can keep them and keep him and, and repair this? And so uh, what were some of the questions you asked him to get to a side of insight? And then what were his insights that he shared? Because I want to talk a little about the process. You know, what were the questions you asked him and what were his insights? All right. First of all, they had, they had told him why they were suspending him, that he uh, had become difficult. People, uh, he had turned people off uh, and that he was not connecting with his people. And they, they were pretty honest in telling him, Bob, you've changed. You're a different person than you used to be. And so he was aware of that. Uh, and I think he knew it. But just to hear somebody verbalize it was a very powerful thing. So now he's confronted with that. So he really opened the door right away. I become a person I never wanted to become. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. So the, the questions then centered around, well, let's, let's figure out how you became this person. What did happen? Mm. And uh, I wanted him to retrace his steps. And he just, he just talked about how life was really good until he designed that building. And once he did, once he did, his priorities got out of whack as he loved the building and people aggravated him. So it was just asking all kinds of questions, probing deeper and deeper, pulling back the the peels on the onion to get at the core of what it was. And it was very important that he himself acknowledged that, yep, my priorities were out of whack and that building meant more to me than my coworkers did. That's the point that he had to get to. And that's the point that he eventually got to. I love to peel back the onion. And sometimes I do have insightful questions that I think really help. And sometimes the best question you can ask Rory is simply after they've gone through quite a bit, say, you know what? Tell me more about that. Mm. I want to hear more about that. And I absolutely love that question when coaching. I use it often. And it's something, if you give people permission to talk, they will self-disclose so much more. So the first path was, how did you get here? And we did a lot of work on that. And then the second path was, how do we rebuild, Bob? How do you go back? How do you, because there was some embarrassment in going back. When, you, when you're the leader and you get suspended, I mean, there's like a scarlet A, and, 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 and that's, a, that's a tough deal. So it's, it's how to work through that, how to rebuild. 
And one of the things that I told them that I love to tell people who have burned any kind of bridges with people is my favorite way to approach somebody that I've burned a bridge with is to go to them face to face and simply say, I just want you to know you mean way too much to me to let anything stand between us. I want to do my best to build a bridge back to you because you mean way too much to not be a part of my life. And I really like that, that path for rebuilding the bridge back to the person. So how did he rebuild the trust with those three people who complained about him? Well, first of all, he did, he worked really hard on a plan for how he would be the new and improved leader when he came back. And he had to run that by the top six executives. They had to sign off on it for him to come back, but he did put together a good plan. And he did talk in that plan about how he would rebuild bridges uh, with these people. Um, I was I was proud of him. He was humbled, but he went after it. And this is what I'm going to do. It was him going back with that very clear focus in mind. I've got to rebuild bridges with these top people. And so he did it one by one. It wasn't a group thing. He had a meeting one-on-one with each of them to apologize for the past to apologize for uh, ways that he had or had not treated them and use the verbiage that we talked about. You mean too much to me to let anything stand between us. I want to build a bridge back to you. He did that. And then the leadership helped a great deal too. The, The general manager went in and met with the top folks and just talked about how they had endorsed this leader, they're bringing him back, and that they stand with him, and he is focused on becoming an effective manager and leader, but they were committed to him. So he had endorsement from the top, one-on-one individually, he went and built bridges with those people, and they, they survived. In fact, they did more than survive, they, they became a healthy department again. I, I love that story. And the great thing that I like about it is that, you know, you really develop, they showed him his blind spot. He had become blind to his blind spot. He didn't see it anymore. And they really highlighted it, you know, put a really, really high powered light on it. And it was very visible to everybody. And then he had to see it. And I just think that's such an important key that you helped him make that transition. And those are just great stories. You know, how did we get here and how do you want to get back? And that's just, and then he developed the plan and had to have that conversation with everyone. So I just think that's an absolutely terrific story. I mean, but obviously you don't work with, you work with the entire company. Your goal is to work with the company, build them up, but occasionally you get asked to help to work with the the wounded soldier, right? Agreed. It is the exception. It's not the rule. I am very happy to do it uh, when that happens, especially in the context of we're helping the whole country build a really strong workplace culture here. Uh, But part of that is every once in a while you have to do some heavy lifting and uh, here four careers were in jeopardy. Uh, One more more footnote on that. I started the story by talking to you about the Michael Vick thing. Here's the the Paul Harvey part, the rest (laughs) of the story. So my very last meeting with him, He reached under the table where we were meeting. He pulled out a gift and he said, I'd like you to open this. And I opened it up and it was an autographed Michael Vick helmet. Wow. He uh, had contacted the Philadelphia Eagles, got Michael Vick to sign a helmet and he sent that to me. And so it's in my office today. I smile at it every time I look at it. 
And I think about the awesome transformation that this man went through. I just think that's an absolutely terrific story. And uh, and that's why I wanted you to share it, because that image right there of, you know, the first time you met with him as you slid across to Sports Illustrated, and then last time you met with him, he gave you a Michael Vick helmet. And he truly did become kind of your Michael Vick uh, rising from the ashes coaching story. Very, very much. I, um, I, I don't discard people quickly, and I don't like companies to discard people quickly. Uh, I like what Steve Chandler says. You have you have a leader or a manager or anybody who is underperforming. That is a crime. Be a detective. Solve that crime. Mm. And I always like to have that detective mindset on. There's going to be some clues here, but we got to get to the bottom of this. This person used to be at this level. Now they're at this level. How do we get them back? Let's solve that crime. Yeah, that that. That inherent curiosity is so important to being successful, and I, I absolutely love that. And you also had another story of a person you worked with that was kind of challenged, and you know, could you expand upon that? I love that story, too. I would be happy to. I, um, this was a credit union I was working with, and uh, a few credit unions across America have unionized staff, and this one did. And I've worked with uh, some of those, not a lot, but I've worked with some of those. Anyway, this particular place had Rick Olson come in for five days, and it was five days of training for staff and management. Uh, it was all about the theme of sales and service, and they wanted their staff to be high-performing in those arenas, and they wanted their managers to know how to coach that. So it was a nice assignment. I thoroughly enjoyed them, and uh, we were having a delightful week, but there was, a, uh, there was like a cloud hanging over the entire week, and uh, I probably got a day or so into it, and I figured out what it was, or I found out what it was. They had a gal there who was the head teller, and she was the union steward. And prior to my coming, she had filed 28 grievances against the credit union. Uh, she had gone through all those processes, but she had never won one of her grievances but she filed her 29th and she happened to win the 29th grievance. And that happened just prior to my coming. And when she won that, it's like it emboldened her. And she decided that people who had testified against her in previous grievances, now that she had won this one, she was going to go back and file a grievance against, uh, I think it was five or six different fellow employees for things that they had said in the past in Ouch. these grievance hearings. So, I mean, we had, we had the uh, Mason-Dixon line running right through the middle of that credit union. It was horrible. And I'm teaching, and this thing is just hanging over everybody. And I'm teaching Monday through Friday, but I know Saturday morning is when they have the union hearing. And this is all going to go to this hearing trial type of thing on Saturday morning. Uh, the employees were so upset about it, and they came up with their counter plan. And their counter plan is, we're going to all be there on Saturday morning. We're going to form a gauntlet. And when this gal and the union chief walk into the building, they're going to have to walk through the gauntlet and look every one of us in the eye as they go into the building. Ouch. So how's that for? Ouch. How's that for a receptive, wonderful, warm feel to go in and do training and cultural development? Right. Uh, Ouch. I, I knew that five days of training, it was about to get flushed down the toilet if that whole thing happened. 
it's going to undo every good thing we might have accomplished that week. So I said to the uh, CEO, uh, would you mind if I talked one-on-one with this employee this week? And they said, I would be thrilled if you did that. So I went to her branch on Wednesday, and it was her responsibility to close out. So I sat there patiently while she closed, while she balanced, while she shut everything down. And she didn't know why I was there. She just, she just thought it was cool that the speaker showed up at her branch to see her. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I just said, you know what? When you're done, if you have a minute, I'd love to slip right across the road to McDonald's. I'd like to buy you a Coke. I'd like to chat with you a little bit. She said, that'd be great. And so that's what we did. She uh, closed up. We went across the road to McDonald's. And um, again, I went back to Stephen Covey's insights. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. And I decided I didn't want to be the lecture, teacher, preacher kind of guy. I just needed to hear her heart. So I said, you have a, uh, you have a really big day coming up on Saturday. I- I've heard about it. I'm sure you feel it. I want you to talk to me. What, what led up to Saturday? How, how do we get to this place where we're having this thing on Saturday? What happened? And she told me the whole story of what had happened and what people had said about her and previous things and how she felt it was only just and fair that they have to account for what they said. And I, I, I followed up by saying, it's going to be, uh, I know it's going to be a very difficult day. It's going to be a very emotional day. Are, are, are you sure that you are committed to this and want to go through this knowing how it's going to impact your future relationships at this place and all your coworkers? And she said, it's very hard, but she said, I have to do it because of what they did. And, and she was a, uh, a classic scorekeeper. She, uh, she kept score on things that people didn't said. And there had to be, uh, there had to be some kind of, uh, you know, justice for that. So anyway, I listened to her at length. I didn't say much at all. And finally, I, I um, said, I want to talk to you about the concept of forgiveness. And I really kind of switched. See, I grew up in a preacher's home, and uh, I was around themes like that my whole life. And I felt like in that, in that moment, I took off my consultant's hat, and I almost put a preacher hat on. But I just said, and again, this is just using intuition. I just said, I want to talk to you about the concept of forgiveness. Here's, here's my view of forgiveness. I live my life as a forgiven man. I have asked God to forgive me. I know he has, and I can't tell you what that means to me. I, he doesn't keep score on my life. He's forgiven me. And I live in the freedom of knowing that. And that's an awesome thing, and it's an awesome way to live life. But here's something that God tells me. He said, if he's going to forgive me, then it's imperative that I forgive anyone who has been unjust to me or done wrong to me. I will not be forgiven if I myself don't forgive others. So uh, I can't keep score against other people. Um, I, I've been forgiven. I have to live as a forgiven man. And I just, uh, I gave her a little sermonette there on forgiveness. And when I got done, she said, you know what? I'm going to drop the grievance. Wow. It was, uh, it, it was an amazing moment. And I would say of 28 years of consulting, it may have been the most poignant moment I've ever had out on the road just to have her 
say that, commit to that. She went back the next day, told them, I'm dropping this grievance. I got the biggest hug from a CEO that you've ever seen. Uh, and it just, it just felt terrific to help that organization uh, avoid that disaster. No, that is such a great story. And, I, and, and the healing process of that is so incredibly powerful. And I loved how you did it. You know, you went through and you, you listened, you built that trust. And uh, Mr. Rogers says, and I don't know if I'm doing the quote right, you might be able to find this on me for me, but uh, he says, you know, once you discover somebody's story, you can't help but love them. And I could almost sense your feeling her pain, her anguish, and saying, you know, I really want to, to love you to a place where you can, you can get over this. It, and I just think that's such a powerful concept in coaching. I know, you know, we don't talk about love and compassion and all of that in coaching, but it's such an important concept to it. And it made the difference that day of probably one of the most powerful moments in your career. I would agree. And uh, I love your uh, Mr. Rogers quote. That's a fabulous uh, quote and insight. And he, he had that whole thing figured out extremely well. Uh, John Maxwell, in his book, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, which I use so much, but a couple things. He's got a fabulous chapter on intuition. We've been talking a lot about that today. Uh, chapter eight in his book, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, is all about intuition. But chapter 10 in his book talks about the concept that you just talked about and Mr. Rogers talked about. And Maxwell's idea is you have to touch a person's heart before you touch their head. You will never get their head until you get their heart. Mm. And so that's what a, a uh, very effective coach does. They get the person's heart. They touch their heart. And then the head's willing to follow. And I've, I'm afraid that people haven't taken time to touch her heart, to hear her story. Mm -hmm. They just wanted to kind of stiff arm her and tell her why she was wrong. Uh, but people had not taken time to hear her story. And she did have a story and there was deep pain and it did need to be acknowledged, but there was a way to deal with it. And uh, when her heart was touched, her head followed and she made an outstanding career choice to drop the grievance. Absolutely. And I hope the folks that uh, when you did the training that, uh, that week uh, followed up and did the coaching and really listened to her to get her side of it, because I cannot tell you, and you and I have talked about this before, but when I've really had conflict and I've just sat down with people and say, tell me where you're at, tell me your perspective. It's truly remarkable how it transforms the relationship. It also transforms how people work together. And I just think that's such a powerful concept and a powerful tool. So I just, I think both those stories are wonderful. I love the Michael Vick story and bringing that person from the ashes and then helping that person transform with wisdom and intuition. You, when you had that Coke that day, you had no idea where you were going, but your intuition said, I need to do this. And then your wisdom said, let's talk about higher values of forgiveness and higher values of, you know, letting things go that aren't important and isn't the relationships and keeping the organization in a positive mode more important than just, you know, uh, settling one score. And once she recognized that and she came to that choice, uh, that's so empowerful. And, and the persuasive, that's the thing I'd love about this. And you and I talked about this the last time we talked on the phone is the persuasive power of coaching, but in an authentic way, not in a manipulative way. Right. And when we talk about intuition and coaching, um, and I'm so enjoying this chat with you, Rory, because so many excellent things come out. I love your take on, on whatever we're talking about. 
but I just thought of something I never thought of before. But if you're if you're coaching if you're coaching somebody rather routinely, I mean, life is good and they're doing well, they're reaching all their goals. I, I would say coaching there is like coaching the uh, the game plan for the first half of a football game. Mm. Every uh, every coach comes out with their scripted 15 first plays are going to run. They've worked on it for a week. It's solid. They do it. But as we all know, the defense makes adjustments. And so how you coach in the second half is very different than how you coach in the first half. Mm. And it's it's what kind of adjustments can you make at halftime to counteract what's being done? Mm-hmm. And you have to get off script in the second half. You have to create something on the fly. It's where tuition comes in or intuition. And so to me, that's, that's what happens when a career is in crisis. Then you are moving toward uh, second half adjustments. It's not first half checklist. It's second half adjustments. And this has happened and this has happened. And now on the fly, we have to make some major adjustments to salvage this career and get them back on track. I agree completely. And I am so delighted that you said, hey, let's, let's talk about intuition and wisdom when we talked about this podcast. And those are just two powerful stories to show the power of intuition and the power of wisdom and getting people to the point where their careers are healed, the relationships are healed, and the organization goes forward in a positive way. So Rick, uh, I know you speak and consult all over the country. How can people get a hold of you, my friend? Two ways. I appreciate that. First of all, they can email me, info at rickolson.com. It's a great way to get a hold of me. I am very responsive when people call. I'm happy, happy to respond. 612-270-6082. Do that again real slow because I'm, I'm, I'm not very fast. I was trying to write it down. So 612. Two seven zero six zero eight two. I got it that time, my friend. Thank you. And, absolutely. And uh, you know, you and I—we've gone. Our friendship has gone back uh, probably easy twenty twenty-five years, and I've just always enjoyed when I've seen you to speak, and that's why I just had to have you on the podcast. Because, and then those two stories are just so incredibly powerful. So, Rick, thank you for being on Coaching for Potential today. I really appreciate it. Well, it's a joy, and you are the uh, consummate professional, and I'm honored just to be your friend and to, uh, to spend these moments with you today. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. The very best to you. You too, my friend. Thanks for listening to Coaching for Potential with Rory Rowland. Join us next time for another discussion about the power of coaching. This has been a KCTK production produced by Paul Lavoda and Rory Rowland. For more information and content, visit RoryRowland.com.